Paul writes to the Philippians. Yet it was kind of uh, kind of you to share my trouble, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving a set, a set of you. Even in Thessalonica, you send me uh, you send me help for my needs, and once again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus. Oh, that's interesting in English. <laughs> in Greek was Epaphroditus, probably. The gift you send, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the living word of God for us today. Father God, thank you so much that you let us come to you, that you call us your children, and that you provide everything that we need. Father God, thank you so much that we get to be together and in freedom worship you together as one body. Father, it's always so amazing to see what you do all around the world and when we come together to celebrate. It is so good to be with you, Father God. We love you so much. All the glory goes to you, Father. Amen. Thank you, Andre. You know, I'm going to steal that phrase um, when I come across hard words in the Bible. That's really hard to say in English. Um, so thank you for that. That's a gift because that happens a lot. Um, let me add my uh, welcome. My name is Eric Hoffman. Um, I'm one of the executive pastors here at Fellowship and have the honor to, you know, almost, we're almost to the end of Philippians, which has been such a gift uh, to just work through. And again, you know, as we come to the end of this, if you haven't read the book of Philippians all the way through as one letter, I just wanted to encourage you to do that this week as we come to the end of this. Um, but I'm really excited about today. And, you know, when we come to a passage, when we teach expository through, uh, through a book, one of the hard things that we have to, we have to do sometimes is there's when, when Paul's writing this, he's not breaking it up in verses like, oh, hey, this would be a good place to stop and teach through this one. Sometimes we have one main thought that we actually have to divide up into two weeks, such is the case here. Rob started the first part of the main thought uh, of Paul coming in with uh, talking about one of the most misapplied, misinterpreted uh, passages uh, or, or verses taken out of context of Philippians 4.13. But we're gonna have one of these same kind of things, a verse taken on a context. But in, in Rob's, the one that he talked about last week of I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, usually it's misapplied or taken out of context with a, an athlete, you know, God strengthened me for the win or something like that. The, the verse that we're gonna come to today, that's when it's taken out of context and misapplied, causes great harm uh, to people. Uh, causes uh, manipulation and all sorts of different things. And the verse I'm talking about is, is Philippians 4:19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So, un, you know, unlike Philippians 4:13, it, it almost seems harmless when someone takes it out of context. It's like we know that you can't fly, you know, like those type of things. Like, but 
There's things that, that they, but when this one is taken out of, it really is a stream of Christianity that I would, I would call the health and wealth gospel or prosperity theology, kind of the name it, claim it kind of thing. And so when this one is taken out of, out of context, for example, it's, it's saying, well, prosperity theology would say this, that, that Jesus died on the cross, but he, he only didn't just secure forgiveness of sins, but also that everything should be yours of health and of wealth, that you should never uh, have a lack of those. And if you do lack any of those, it's because of your faith. So you can see how someone comes into a crisis and comes across a prosperity theology and, and that their circumstance doesn't change. And then they have this immense shame of, well, maybe it was my faith that this person passed away, or maybe it was my faith that this cancer is not going away, or maybe it's my faith that I'm, I'm not healthy and, and wealthy. And so this has been used, uh, Philippians 4.19 has been used in prosperity theology uh, to manipulate people out of millions of dollars. Um, it's, been, it's been hurtful to so many people. And I've talked to, talked to many of you, actually we're working through the book of Philippians, and it's a, it's a call to joy, but Paul, where is Paul writing this letter? He's in prison. And he's reliant on the needs of others. So this obviously is, is not what Paul is saying. Like Paul is in prison, reliant on others to be even sustain life itself. And so we're gonna work through what does this verse actually mean in its context? And I hope, I hope that when you come to the end of it, my, my hope, my prayer, um, as we were worshiping today and as we were just working through this and as working through this text, my, my prayer is honestly, that each one of us would leave today being like, this is one of the most beautiful, joy-infusing promises in the scriptures. And that all of us would have a, a tangible handhold of what Paul is trying to say and how that would actually live into our lives. So that's what, um, that's what, I, that's what I'm hoping for. When we face crisis, I understand why we would turn to things like this and want it to mean what prosperity theology teaches. That if I just can conjure up enough faith that this situation would change. I, I understand that. I mean, when you have a, a dying loved one or you, have, or you have suffering in your life or you have hardship, it's like it, you want that to change. You want the situation to change. So you would come to things like, like this and, and, and believe these things. Like I, I get why we can, we can come to that. But the thing that Paul is saying here, that when we come to crisis, the true thing of how we walk through crisis is to get to the promise, like the actual promise of what God is promising us. And that is what we can stand on. That it, God doesn't promise that we're not gonna face suffering or pain or hardship or loss or relational struggles. But what does God promise? And that's what Paul wants us to, to land on and have the foundation on. And so that's why uh, I'm, I'm excited uh, to walk through this. And, and honestly, it just, it just reaffirms why I love walking through text expository. It just, it just reaffirms my, my love for really getting to the understanding of what was Paul trying to communicate? And then how does that, how does that help us apply this to our lives? So if you're not there with us, uh, turn to your Bibles, Philippians 4, 14 through 20, and, uh, and we'll start walking through with verse 14. So verse 14, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. All right, so let's just pause there real quick. Paul has just stated that in want or in need, whatever the situation, he has learned the secret of being content. Okay, so that's what he just communicated. So 
Here we find his note of concern, lest, lest they construe that he's saying, I don't need your gifts or your gifts weren't important. The yet there is saying, nevertheless, let me say your gifts matter. What you did for me on my behalf, sustain me. That yet is what he's, he's communicating uh, to them. So let's go to verse 15 and 16. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. So what is Paul saying? What does he, what does he mean here But in the, in the beginning of the gospel? Like what is, that, what is that phrase talking about? Well, he's going back to, speaking to when the gospel first came to Macedonia, when people first started to hear the message of the good news of Jesus and, and to believe. And the founding of, of the church of Philippi is actually in Acts 16. So if you want us to make a note of that, you can go back and read in Acts 16 of how did, how did the church in Philippi actually start. And what you'll see in Acts 16 is that Paul actually had this vision of somebody, uh, of a man in Macedonia saying, come over here. And so he responds to that, that vision and the Spirit's leading to go to Macedonia. And when he arrives by the river outside the gates of the town, he, uh, he meets Lydia. And so the gospel uh, opens up her heart. God opens up Lydia's heart, successful businesswoman, and she comes to put her faith and trust in Jesus. And so the, the plan of, of the church starts with Lydia, this successful businesswoman. And so the, that's how the church was born in Philippi. And so after a short time in Philippi, uh, Paul and Silas, they're arrested, arrested they're beaten, uh, they're jailed. And then when they're released, um, they move uh, 90 miles uh, uh, west and they go, they go to Thessalonica. And then the same pattern happens. They're preaching the gospel, they're arrested, they're jailed, they're released, and then they, they move on. And so that's kind of the, the pattern that starts to develop when you read through the books of, of Acts. And so then when he's saying this, he's saying, even in Thessalonica, what did the Philippians do? What did this, this small church do? Well, they helped his needs once and again. So there's this pattern growing of the Philippians that Paul, anytime that he has a need, and what, what Lloyd reminded us is when someone's in prison, the, the prison doesn't take care of their needs. They're reliant on others taking care of their needs to feed them and to, and to clothe them and to care, care for their necessities. So the Philippians, once and again, they just keep giving. Now, one of the things that we could easily think of, of we hear the Philippians, are, they're meeting Paul's needs here in Macedonia. They're meeting Paul's needs in Thessalonica. Like we could easily think, well, they must've been affluent. Like that's probably where our minds are going. Well, they must've had a lot of money, but let's look at 2 Corinthians 8, one through two. I'm gonna read this for us. Lest we think that it's coming from their affluence. Now I want to, you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God and his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. So when he's writing, uh, he's explaining the church in Corinth where the offering that he's brought them has come from. It's come from uh, Macedonia, Philippi. They are being tested by many troubles and they are very poor. So this is talking about the, the Philippians and they are very poor, but they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. So Paul goes on to say that in Macedonia, like the Philippian church, they begged them to allow them to give and out of their poverty came generosity. So what do we learn, what do we learn about the, the Philippians? Well, 
it's not that what they had in their, in their bank accounts. Biblical giving is not what you have in the bank. It's about who you are in Christ. It shows what Christ is doing in you and expressed to meet the need of others. And so when we look at the Philippians, we should, we should be like, that is what it looks like to be generous. It's, it's not about the amount that I give, but it's out of what Christ is doing in me because he has given so much. What he is doing in me, I'm going to express outwards to meet the needs of others. And so let me just say this, um, from a biblical perspective, sometimes affluence actually prevents us from being more generous because we can focus on the wrong things. And so what Paul is saying is it's, it's their, who they are in Christ is actually driving their generosity, not their affluence. But let me just say, let me just say this, um, what the Philippians have modeled of meeting needs over and over and over again of others here and around the world, I just paused and just said, that's you guys. I mean, every, every global Christmas we come and we say less under our tree, more for the world. You guys gave over $1.3 million in the month of December to meet the needs of people around the world. And what a, what a gift to have Andre, uh, one of our global partners with us on a passage that's modeling why we, why we have partners all around the world. And it's not just about finances, but our finances show our affection and tie us to those around the world to meet the needs of the gospel going around the world. And you guys have been doing that and sharing in the trouble and in giving uh, for the past 25 years. And so on behalf of our local and global partners, I just wanna say what Paul says, it has been kind of you to enter into this partnership of giving and receiving. And one of the things that, um, that I love when I was working through this is, why do we do partnership around the world the way that we do? Well, in verses 14 and 15, when it says that root word of share, actually mean it's talking to that to have fellowship with, have to have partnership with, that it's talking about when we, when we give, that our, we're linking our hearts together in partnership for the gospel. And to have you, brother, here, that's, that's what we feel towards our partners, that we're linking together, that Andre's ministry isn't just his ministry. We care deeply about what is happening around the world. And in fact, like I'm looking forward to learning what he's doing in disciple making so that we can have this mutual partnership of him encouraging us to reach the lost here in Williamson County and in Middle Tennessee. And so it is this mutual giving and receiving because we have partnership, because we have relationship, because we love each other, because we're so for each other. And so we can easily say, yes, we want to meet the needs of around the world because we have partnership in this fellowship with believers here locally and globally. And what a gift. I mean, to, for, for God to time up that we're gonna have one of our global partners on this passage just makes it so, so sweet in the sense of why do we partner? Well, part, partnering is what Paul is saying, to care for one another so deeply that we wanna see the gospel extend, not just here, but around the world. And not just sending money just random to random places, but to people. That's what the church was doing. It was sending money to Paul in partnership and fellowship out of relationship with him to see the gospel go forth through him. It was because of relationship that even furthered their generosity. Even when they didn't have a lot, they wanted to give because of their partnership and fellowship. What a beautiful expression 
uh, and, and a gift for us to, to ponder of, of continued of, of why we do what we do uh, around the world, which is so grateful for that. Let's continue on, verse 17 and 18. Paul goes, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied. Having received, this word is really hard in English, aprophoditis, um, the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. In verse 17, 18, Paul is, is pulling back the curtain on giving. He's saying, okay, when you give, here's what's happening behind the scenes. When you give, he's pointing out that there is more that meets the eye. In verse 17, helping to meet someone else's needs is evidence that there's significance, these gifts that they give, there's evidence of genuineness in their faith. Their faith is being, is growing, not just with their, their gifts, but their faith is growing. And it's sort of like this. Um, if you're a parent, you'll get this. Um, and this, this part of this analogy, like when you see your kid do something nice for somebody else, you're just like, wow, like I'm successful as a parent. You know, but like you see, what are you seeing? You're seeing something happening in their heart. Or, or how many of you, when you see a friend who gives something to you in a time of need, is it, is it about that gift or is it about like that person thought of me, cared for me, sacrificed their time. I, I now see their heart towards me their care for me. You know what I mean? You're, you're not focused as much on the gift as you are as what happened in that person's heart in order to give. Does that make sense? And so, so for us, like when, when we meet someone's need, God is doing something in us more than the gift could ever do. And so when we give, you know, just, just take the words of Jesus seriously. It's better to give than to receive. And you know, I, like we, if we live by that, we actually, there's something that happens in us that changes us and shapes us more than the gift could ever, could ever do. But the gift's important. So Paul's, you know, going back to that, yet, yeah, yet yeah, your gift's important. It's not that your gift isn't important, but we, uh, we get to show our affection for somebody else, our love for somebody else tangibly through a gift. And so Paul is saying, there's, there's, even more grateful, the evidence of their hearts being transformed by the faith in Jesus. That's what Paul is saying. I'm, I'm, I'm more excited about what, what Jesus is doing in your hearts than, than even just what this gift is doing, yet your gift is helping sustain me. Does that make sense? He's not diminishing the gift, but he's saying, this is, this is producing in you something great, and that's what I'm celebrating here, and that's what, that's what we get to see. And in verse 18, he reframes it, their, their gifts uh, with this image of the Old Testament of their, their gifts are this act of worship, this, this pleasing aroma that pleases God. And, and here's, here's what I just say this, like every one of us, as a, if, you're a, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, every one of us should be investing in the kingdom. Like every one of us should be giving of our financial resources. There's, there's multiple reasons why, but what Paul is saying, the most important reason why you should be doing that is because it ties your affections to things of the kingdom and things that are eternal. It turns your, it turns your mind away from just stockpiling, getting the newest, nicest thing, keeping up with the Joneses. It turns your affections to actually what Jesus is wanting to do in you. And so we're investing in the kingdom in, in that way does that. And so 
With all of that, Paul is now, has now set us uh, and led us to verse 19. Now, this is the, this is the promise that's often mis, misapplied, misinterpreted, misused. And I wanna get it to and paint it in this beautiful picture of what Paul is painting it here. Verse 19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. That's the promise. So if you're gonna memorize, uh, memorize a, a verse uh, this week, um, this is one of the things that I've been trying to do uh, recently is, is starting to, to meditate and memorize on scripture. I've realized that that's been a lost, uh, lost thing in my life. And that's, that's one that I'm gonna, I'm gonna memorize. And one of the things of according to his riches in, in glory in Christ Jesus. Now this description it's pretty mind-blowing. When you just read it, it's just like, oh, that sounds, that sounds nice, Paul. But what is he saying here? No, he's saying, Paul, is, is Paul, what he's saying here is nothing less than this, that God gives, okay, commensurate to all that God has. So God is going to give with all that God is. So what, is, God, what does God have? Infinite resources, and God's going to, to give through who we are in Christ. So he will supply every need of yours. Now, where the rubber meets the road when it comes to proper understanding and application of this text is, well, what does this phrase mean and how do I apply it to my life? Well, is he speaking of financial provision? Well, yeah, he is speaking of that in, in the sense that he just got done talking about what the Philippian church has done with him through financial provision. So, yeah, he's talking about that, but he's, is he talking about health and healing? Does everything include these things? Of course, the answer is yes. There is nothing that God cannot supply, but let's keep this in, in context in this way. Those aren't the right questions to ask. I think the right question to ask is what supplies do you need to get to the end that God is talking about? What supplies do you need to get to the end that God is talking about. In, in the beginning of January, I was able to give the, the message that was, in Paul, when Paul is talking in Philippians 3.10, of what his aim is, what his singular focus is, that's to know and become like Jesus. That is his single aim. And he talks about it in the way of, of a race being run, that that is the finish line, to know and become more like Jesus. So the question that we should be asking when it talks about supplying every need, commensurate to all that God is, to what we need, is what do I need if that's the finish line, that's the goal of my life, to become, to know and become more like Jesus. That God will supply everything I need according to all that he is for me to know and become more like Jesus for that to be the destination. That's what, that's what I believe Paul is talking about. And I'm gonna back, back that up with why I believe that. For all who have put their faith and trust, that should be our goal. So what do we need to, to reach that goal? So how did, how did I get there? There's a couple different things. One is the other promise, there's a couple other promises in, in Philippians given, and the other promise that is linked to this that I think should be inseparable with when we're talking about Philippians 4.19 is Philippians 1.6. Philippians 1.6, you can flip back if you have your Bible, you can flip back there, but he says this, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. So he's talking about what does God want to do in you? He wants to complete this good work that he's been doing ever since you came to faith. 
that you would know and become like Jesus. And that is the ultimate goal. So what is clear that the goal of which God is bringing the Christian is a growing faith in Jesus, which every, the very life of Jesus should be increasingly reproduced in the believer. And from the moment of our salvation to the moment we die or Christ returns, that is what God wants to accomplish in each of us. That's what God wants to do. That's what God is doing through your hard circumstances, through all of life. He is saying, I'm gonna increasingly reproduce the life of Jesus in you. And he's been doing that from the moment of your salvation to the moment you die. That is what he wants to do. That is what he wants to accomplish. So I might say it like this, from the moment you put your trust in Christ, God promises to supply you with whatever you need to be more like Jesus. God promises to supply you with whatever you need to become more like Jesus. And may, may I just state the obvious that that does not require that you are rich and have health. But, it, but those, those things, you know, it's like... Uh, the, Chris, the Christmas movie, uh, why am I blanking on the name? But it's like, you know, he talks about money and he's talking to the angel and he goes, well, it sure helps, helps down here, bub. You know, like we, God understands your need. He understands your provision. But his main goal is not that you would be healthy and wealthy. His main goal is that you become more like Jesus. And whatever you need at the given moment in any circumstance, you can count on God providing according to all of his abundant riches that aim, that is the promise. So let's, again, keeping this verse in context, how do I get there? How do I stand on this, that this is the, the right application? Well, here's, let's just look at what is Paul talking about in the context as one complete thought. In verses 10 through 13, Paul is just getting done saying, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, whether I'm in a pit or on the mountaintop, whether I'm hungry or I'm full, whether I'm in abundance or I'm in need, Paul is just laying out, God has provided for me to be content in all of these hard circumstances and good circumstances. That's what he's been doing in his faithfulness. So the truth is God can take the darkest moments of our life and redeem them and shape them and we would never ask for them and I was, I was actually just watching a, a thing of um, uh, Toby Mack was actually talking this week about his son who he lost. And he was talking about how, how has he been able to move through this? And, and, and it, was, it was tied to this. God doesn't promise that we won't walk through suffering or pain or hard circumstances or relational loss or brokenness or all those things, but you have to get down to what does he promise? That is the only thing that we can actually hold on to in the midst of pain and darkness and brokenness that we actually can move through is when we actually have a foundation of what he actually promises. You know, and, and that's been so true of, of even my story. This, this last week, Melissa and I had the opportunity to share with uh, Reengage, which is helping people walk through as a couple, like reengage re their marriage, the purposes that God has for their marriage. And, we were just able to share our story, our marriage story. And then I was reflecting on this passage and you know, in every circumstance, when we, came, when we came to God in the midst of our darkest times of our marriage, I mean, we, we shared the story of Melissa and I uh, probably 
10 years ago, we're, we're in just like this really dark place in our marriage where we just, we just thought like, we're just destined to be roommates. Like we are so stuck. We are so like just at odds with each other. We're coming in with totally different expectations of what marriage is supposed to be. And we just told the story to re-engage, to give them hope. Like in the midst of our darkest part, God provided all that we need for a way for us to find help and a way for us to, to have others come alongside of us, to provide the, the resources to, to go to counseling and go through an intensive. And we just were able to share that in the midst of what we would have labeled and still would label one of the darkest moments, now it's one of the most redeeming things because we've been able to share the story of God's faithfulness and how he works in us and what he's been able to do all along that way. And so we're able to say, look at God's faithfulness. He supplied every need that we needed in order for Jesus to become, to be shaping our marriage. And we were just able to tell that story. And so that's, that's the, the truth is, is one of the things that God supplies all that we need to know and for us to become more like Jesus. But here's, here's the thing. Here's, here's the one caveat to that. How does God supply? Like, isn't that the question you would be asking? Is like, well, okay, that's great, Eric. Like, that's an awesome promise. I'm gonna memorize it, put it in my dashboard, all those things. But how does God do that? Well, there's a, there's a couple different things that I want us to just tangibly take away from this. One is how God does that is usually God uses other people. I mean, that's been true. That's been true in, in my story. Um, that's been true in so many. And Paul is actually, use, like, he's telling the story of the Philippians meeting the needs and coming alongside. So here's one of the things is others, let me just be super clear. God wants to supply all of your needs and, and he, will, he will do that in, in, through his abundant resources, infinite resources. He also wants other people to come alongside you. There isn't, there isn't there's no such thing as a, as a Christian walking through without community. We need one another. We're supposed to be a family of faith, the, the body of Christ. And so here's the thing. If others don't know your need, then there's, there's no way that they're gonna come and meet that need. Unless they, unless they just, the, the spirit just puts it on their heart. So one of the tangible things that I want you guys to, to leave today is this, if others don't know your need, that's one of the most common ways that God meets our needs is through other believers. Because of what Paul just said is because of what happens in them as they give and meet the need. So it's not even just about your need, it's what the opportunity for others to come alongside you to grow in Christ, meeting your need that you have in Christ. Does that make sense? We need to tell others what we need. Now we have a, a Facebook page that's our needs board for provisional needs that you can go on and you can, you can label your provisional needs. But I would venture to guess that many of you, many of you walking through the pandemic and in isolation and, and experiencing brokenness, many of you are facing needs that are not provisional in the sense of like, hey, I have a fridge, you need a fridge, like that type of thing. Like many of you are probably facing things of I have mental, emotional, relational struggles that's a harder need to let other people know. I understand that. But that is one of the tangible things of, of letting, others, um, letting others in. The tension of faith is this. 
that God did not promise that this life would be easy, would be pain-free, would be without suffering. But there is no better example of one who walked through the promises of Philippians 4.19 than Jesus himself. So let us, let's take a minute and just consider Jesus. He never owned a home. He was rejected by his own family and his own town. He was falsely accused. He was betrayed by someone he invested uh, over three years of his life with. Um, he was sent to, to die for crimes, which he did not do. He was abandoned by his best friends in his time of need. He was beaten, he was pummeled, he was shamed publicly. He was nailed to a cross and he died owning nothing but his tunic on his back. So if you just looked at that, you would say, yeah, it didn't seem like God supplied all that he needed. But, but we look at Philippians 4.19, was it true of Jesus that God supplied all that he needed in the moment for him to do what God was calling him to do, 100%. God supplied all that Jesus needed to go to the cross and die in our place that he might bring us sons and daughters to him. The end determines the provisions. And that was true in Jesus. And so when we keep 419 connected to the promise in, in Philippians 1.6 that I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. You know, I don't know what your need is, but I know there's many in this room. And I know that God does know your need and he knows what you need before you even ask. But I can tell you based on this promise of uh, Philippians 4.19 that he is giving precisely what you need to grow in Christ-likeness, to remain in the faith, to be held by grace out of his infinite riches of those in Christ Jesus. And so our invitation to joy, there's no slide for this week, but our invitation to joy is simply this, to let God know what you need, to ask what is your need and so I want to just invite you right now to ask God what you need. And then I'm going to, I'm going to join in and I'm going to lead us in, in a prayer and then we're going to sing a song of response. But here's what I, I want us to do. I mean, this is, this is a promise, but for many of you right now, it, it feels like I, I need this promise to be true. I need to see movement. I feel so stuck. And so I'm just praying for the spirit right now to, to reveal to you as you come to the Father, what is your need to become, to know and become more like Jesus? And it may be a tangible, I need to let others in, I need to, to come alongside others, or it may be a tangible step that you take, you take with Christ, to putting your, your foundation of your faith on this. And so we have, um, we have kneeling benches up here. You, know, you could turn around to your chair, but this is just one of those moments where we just wanna give a couple minutes of just space um, just, just so that we can, we can truly come to him in his presence right now. So let me, let me pray for us. I'm gonna give you a couple minutes of just asking that, of coming before him, of making your need known. And then we'll respond in singing. Father, I, 
I pray that the words that you will supply everything we need according to your riches. So first we just pause and we just say you, who you are. You are compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. And Father, you don't look down at us right now in the finger of disappointment. But you look at us as a dearly loved child, wanting to display your faithfulness, wanting to supply everything we would need to become like you, your son, Jesus. Father, I know there's many in this room who are like Paul in a dark moment of their, of their story, but yet needing to stand on the promises of what is true. And so Father, as we come before you right now, would your spirit lead us to a clear, tangible expression of what it means to put our faith in this promise. We not only make our need known to you, but maybe it's making our need known to others so that as they come alongside our need, they may grow in Christ-likeness. And Father, for us to be a church, a family of faith that cares for one another's needs, who walks alongside each other in some of the darkest places of our story. And would we see the hope and the beauty of walking through those places because we get to see your faithfulness and your grace and your promises. So Father, as we take a couple minutes, would you speak to your children?